patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicate to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. everyone and welcome to episode 81 of Friends and Fellow Citizens. I'm your host, Sherman Tylosky. Thank you all so much for joining me today. I hope you're excited for what's to come here in March or later in the spring of 2022, whether it's spring break, uh, spring break vacation, or March Madness, or whatever it is that excites you. Um, I hope you are excited for what is to come, and I want to thank you all, as usual, for tuning in Every single week, I really appreciate all of your support to all the existing listeners out there. To any new listeners, welcome to our program. Well, today, before we get into our main topic, I have a very, very special announcement for all of you. As you know, one of the ways that we're always trying to improve and grow the show is especially to make sure that our listeners can be part of the experience as well. This announcement that I'm about to make has been in the works for some time, but I'm very, very happy to announce that we are launching our new feature for all of our email subscribers and Patreon supporters called the Ask Our Guest feature. This really is the biggest improvement to the listener experience we've ever announced on Friends and Fellow Citizens. It's an amazing feature that allows listeners to be a part of interview episodes, you know, as you might know, when I ask questions to the guest, um, I always uh, have some prepared questions and uh, some questions on the fly. It's really a combination of different things, but I really want our listeners to have more of a say in our program. And this is really a wonderful opportunity for you to have a chance at submitting questions and getting them featured and asked to our guests. This feature will be available to all of our email subscribers, but of course, our Patreon supporters will have first priority. Uh, I want to also take this time to once again thank our amazing Patreon supporters. Uh, they really do an amazing job just supporting our program, uh, and I really, I really could not be more grateful for their wonderful support for the program. And I really want to have this as an opportunity to have. Patreon supporters and email subscribers really ask those important questions as well because I'm not the only one who has the important questions. We all do. We all have very pressing questions that we want to ask and we want to learn more about. What will happen is when you subscribe or when you, if you remain subscribed to our email list, at some point during the week, it's not on the usual Mondays at 6 a.m. Eastern for the episode releases, but at any time during the week, an Ask Our Guest email will be sent to all subscribers. And what will happen is you simply click on the email, click on the form. You'll clearly see where the, the form link is. You'll click on it. You'll fill out your first name and type in your questions and then click submit. That's it. That's all you got to do. Each uh, Ask Our Guest feature for per episode uh, we'll be open to question submissions for one week. I do want to note that due to logistics, you know, also working out, you know, what's 
uh, what I think would be best for uh, open questions. Uh, this feature will be applicable to select interview episodes. Um, I'll be sure to try and keep you all posted on when the next Ask Our Guest email, but you know, there's so many thinking factors that come into play when it comes to making interview episodes. But I think this is a really great start to get uh, the listeners involved in asking some of those questions for me. I think this was a truly, truly wonderful interactive feature. And uh, I am very, very much open to additional feedback. You know, this is very much a working um, a feature that we're always trying to per- trying to perfect. And I look forward to uh, hearing from you all very soon. In fact, this feature, it's currently March. This feature will begin rolling out, not necessarily on this day, but certainly after this day, it will be released starting April 1st. I'll make sure to add this announcement to uh, some other subsequent episodes so that uh, new listeners and others can also tune in. Uh, but the number one way you can become a part of our Ask Our Guest feature is to subscribe to our email list. This is really the easiest way. Get those episode notifications, news announcements, and others uh, so that you can tune in and that you have that opportunity to be part of the Ask Our Guest feature. Can't wait to hear from your questions. Uh, look forward to reviewing them and, and asking, asking the questions to the guests and I hope you will take this opportunity to get a chance to have your question answered on our interview episodes. For today's topic, I came across this idea when I read an amazing piece by uh, someone from the Wall Street Journal named Daniel Henninger. And he writes a lot of pieces about society in general, you know, kind of commentary about how people behave and what's going on in, in our society. And he really asked this such an important question. And this article is about mindless behavior. And he's really commenting on just all the different episodes, it seems like, of mindless behavior and violence and just pure wrongdoing that we've been seeing in society. Here's an important question from someone at the Wall Street Journal, one of the contributors, Daniel Henninger. This is what he writes. Quote, How have so many individuals broken free of moorings that once stopped them from an uncontrollable drift into senseless violence and mindless behavior? Unquote. Henninger's really touched upon something called broken windows theory. For those of you who are not familiar with this, Broken windows theory is a public safety term, and what it refers to is that the city, as a municipality, has to be able to deter minor crimes and enforce the law on these petty crimes in order to maintain public safety in the long run, in part because petty crimes, while it might seem petty in nature, uh, a multitude of these can lead to a perception that there is rampant violent crime in the city. For example, if you were to see broken windows down a street and you didn't see anyone cleaning up, um, you didn't see anyone get punished for breaking these windows or for breaking in or for uh, committing petty crimes, you wouldn't have the perception that this is a very dangerous city. And that really is the crux of it, which is you've got to be able to prevent people from doing minor infractions in a society. 
and so that people can then have faith in the police force, have faith in the leadership in a municipality. And while this episode is not about public safety, I thought this was a really, really interesting solution, but I wanted to pair it to something historic. You know, this is something we always do on Friends and Fellow Citizens. We try to look for something in history that can connect us with uh, those principles of Washington's farewell address uh, in some degree. And I found a really great quote from Senator Daniel Webster. Daniel Webster was also Secretary of State. Uh, He was a senator from Massachusetts and is arguably one of the best-known orators in the United States Senate and really just in the history of the United States. Webster was a senator who clearly was a man of uh, well ahead of his time in a number of ways, but even when he was very much not in the same kind of time frame, if you like, of the Senate, he always believed a lot in working with people of different viewpoints, including a lot of uh, pro-slavery people. He was against slavery. Uh, But this was really a very, very huge pillar of his oratorial skills and of his political acumen. He once sent a quote, and it's about the Senate, but I'm going to relate this a lot to what's been going on in our society today. Here's his quote. This is a Senate of equals, of men of individual honor and personal character, and of absolute independence. We know no masters. We acknowledge no dictators. This is a hall for mutual consultation and discussion, not an arena for the exhibition of champions. Unquote. I got to be honest with you. This is now one of my favorite quotes of all time. It really encapsulates a lot of what has been going wrong in our society for, for some years. And again, he is referring to the Senate here, but... We always, in a democracy, we want our representatives to represent our interests. And so while members in the Senate or in the House are not necessarily characteristically, like in terms of personal character, might not be exactly the same as you or me, but they should be representing the interests of the constituents. And very often those interests are conveyed through the kinds of actions that constituents take when it comes to resolving issues or it comes to just living out life. This, I think, is where the comparison can be made. Webster says that that, we, uh, they, that this is not an arena for the exhibition of champions. While I wholeheartedly agree that there are terms like you know, cancel culture as a great example of how really our world has become so, so entrenched in you know, calling people names and canceling each other out is such a such a terrible problem. But one other culture that I think is often overlooked was something that I would perhaps coin something called the champion culture, which is the idea that oh, everyone is a champion. It's kind of like the and uh, the trophies for everyone sort of analogy, or maybe they go a participation trophy award is what is what is often purported out there. But I really thought about it, and I thought, I think this is a great way to describe what is going on in society today. Recall what Henninger said about how there used to be some kind of mechanism, something that would hold us down before we let it, 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 put out an outburst. That doesn't happen anymore. 
as much as perhaps as much as we want to. Take a look at social media as a great example. Think about the number of cases when someone said, I'm fighting for such and such, or, you know, I, we, we definitely need to rise up and fight against this or that. That's not to say that people can't have impassioned feelings about a particular movement, as long as they're civil, as long as they fall within the law. We do have free speech after all. The problem isn't really the legality necessarily of expressing your willingness to uh, to fight for something. The problem is is really that kind of that alternate reality that people are living in. They think that they're champions. They think that because they posted something on Facebook and yelled at President so-and-so, and they think that they're some kind of hero, that they're MLK, or that they're you know, Maria Angelou, or that they're even George Washington. You know, it, it happens on, on different levels, but social media is almost an embodiment of what is wrong when people don't go into consultation discussion, and they only look at themselves. They look at themselves as just champions, and that everyone else who doesn't agree with them Somehow there's something wrong with them. We've got to we've got to stop that warped feeling, but it's just it's pervasive. Let's look at COVID nineteen as another example. Take a look at the mass debate. I think one of the reasons why we haven't gone out of this mass debate is because both sides, or they should say the extreme sides, are just not being called out enough by by different sides of of the mask perspective. On the one hand, for those who are quote unquote pro-mask, think about all those times when people, you you walk into a store or you walk into a restaurant or somewhere and we all know that it's easy to forget to to put a mask at certain times. You know, not all the time, but at certain times, myself and my friends, my family, we all we all forget. It's, it's like, oh, I got to put my mask on. But then there's those instances when someone is so pro-mass and just sees a one little instance of someone not having a mask or having the mask below the nose, and they all of a sudden think that you're a murderer. Have you ever have you ever seen that before? I've 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 seen that one time. I was in DC. I was walking in a in a market. The the guidance said that if you were outside, um, you don't have to wear a mask. And there's this gentleman. I guess he was working for the city of DC of some kind. And he told me, he said, Oh, you, you got to put a mask on. And I said, but I'm outside. It's like, well, you're, you're in the grounds and all that. And, and it's like, uh, you know, you, you might, you might, you might make someone sick. And I, I just thought to myself, I said, first of all, that's not what the guidance said. Right. Number, number two is he basically wasn't kind of implying that I was making someone sick. Whereas, if it's possible, I mean, with asymptomatic cases, technically, but imagine the friction. And imagine how he was basically feeling like, I'm the one enforcing this. I feel important. I feel important that I need to enforce this. My point is not to to break rules for the, just for the sake of breaking rules and being unlawful. My point is, we have gone from culture of personal responsibility to basically assuming power wherever one can find it. In that instance, with all due respect to that gentleman, he wasn't—he was not pertaining to the guidance, and 
I think you could have you could have maybe lower the temperature a little bit. You could have said, "Oh, sir, could you please put your mask on before you know, just for the, for the safety of others." That I think is a slightly different tone. But he was very, very adamant about you wearing a mask, and I I just find that very perplexing. I wonder how many of those other instances there are where, yes, you know, people people can have maybe technically have some kind of freedom to wear a mask or to do whatever, but then are just castigated, castigated as as people who are irresponsible, who are literally on purpose trying to harm others. We cannot live in a society like that. On the other hand, you've got people who choose not to wear masks, and then you've got and these people. They're basically calling anyone who chooses to wear a mask, let's just say out of pure personal choice, they accuse them of being fear mongers, of being of trying to be literally tyrants, uh, or trying to be. I've seen this instance where there was someone who wasn't wearing a mask, and um, this was a video I watched, and they were calling, they were calling someone who was just. I mean, they were just wearing a mask from all I was seeing, and literally the the person who didn't have a mask was calling the other person. You know, the names along the lines of love Hitler. I mean, this is really what's what our society's gone to. We have this this person who who thinks that he or she's got all the power to be able to tell other people what to do, that they're some kind of somehow fighting for freedom, fighting for some kind of liberty, and yet has plunged himself into in a, a world of despotism at a world of not being able to control one's destiny, in part because that person doesn't understand the value of mutual consultation and of respect and of decency. Instead, that person thinks that he's a champion. Look at the air rage incidents that are occurring nowadays in our society. When people think that they're fighting for some kind of larger cause of freedom, when in fact, purely... They just don't know what the difference is between right and wrong. I'm sorry, but the guidance said, the rules say, FAA rules say, if you don't comply with the mask requirement, you you should not be able to fly. Once again, we have people conflating champions with doing good and doing what is right for themselves and for others. Lastly, we've had a number of demonstrations that have unfortunately turned riots. Now, this is not to infringe on people's rights to to demonstrate. But on the one hand, you've got people participating in riots, some of them still going on to this day in places like Portland and Seattle and other places. Uh, This is all the result of the George Floyd protests in 2020. You've literally got people who don't even regard the public safety of their fellow citizens. They engage in violence. They engage in pure hatred against people who don't agree with them. They're destroying property, destroying government property, private property, intimidating. Um, uh, I've seen this instance in D.C. where uh, there were Black Lives Matter activists literally threatening patrons at a restaurant. I mean, who do these people think they are? On the other hand, with January 6th, we saw a bunch of people who who stormed the Capitol because they didn't respect election outcome. I know plenty of people who who didn't like the outcome, but who accepted the outcome and moved on, moved on to fight for larger issues. 
maybe some of the issues that were being disputed during 2020, like election security. Maybe there someone has a different idea, but they still accepted the election outcome of 2020. Instead, we got a very, very pathetic crowd of people storming the Capitol, destroying government property, threatening lawmakers, attacking police officers, wrecking property, thinking that they were reliving 1776 or thinking that they were reliving some kind of larger cause of freedom. All the instances that I've just mentioned only scratch the surface, but I think they all point that common theme that Senator Webster was pointing out, which is that we are not living in a world of mutual consultation and discussion. We can't have it 100% everywhere in the world or in our country, but that has to be an accepted norm. It seems like violence and bad behavior and others seem like more often than seem like increasingly they're being accepted as the norm rather than the exceptions. That has to change. We need to live in a world where there is mutual consultation discussion. We cannot have people who proclaim to be champions because champions in many ways are not people who work hard and do the right things to be champions. They work hard and do the right things because they believe in a larger good that's larger than themselves. They actually do the work. I mean, how many of those people at a lot of these protests and you know, with regards to fights on masks and all that, how many people do you think actually put in any kind of hard work to what they're saying? The answer is about zero. And this is the difference between the people who succeed and people who plunge themselves into bigger trouble. It really is that mindset, the ability to recognize that one is not meant to get out there and show off and show people what you got. The goal there is to find new sources of goodness, to be able to spread that to not just oneself, but to others as well. I think there's a few things that uh, that I like to conclude here. What, uh, when I was in economics class uh, in high school, I had an amazing teacher. He taught me one thing that I'll never forget. He said, in economics, which is all about choice and scarcity, there are only winners and losers. And the reason why I bring that is because in our society, we have to define and clearly define what is right and wrong. When we see bad behavior, we can't just point to the larger bad behaviors and then the small ones, ah, well, who cares? No, we can't, we can't have that behavior. The other thing, we have to call out bad behavior at all levels. When we see someone, for example, not, not saying hello to someone, maybe we should say something. If someone you know, steals a candy bar from a supermarket, we catch that person and we tell them, in this society, we don't steal candy bars that we didn't pay for. When we start to enforce the laws, when we start to point out that this is not the avenue for change, that this, this route of change, one of, of mutual discussion, conversation, of action, 
and of people having a sense that they are moving forward despite some differences in opinion, that is when we started to move on as a society. When we, and at the same time, when we started to encourage others to do small deeds of good, it all adds up. As Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the time is always right to do what is right. And he is right. <laughs> the time is always right to do what is right. Whether it's calling out bad behavior or doing good, there is always a time to do the right thing. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the major announcement that I made about our Ask Our Guest feature and hope you will be a part of it in the shows and episodes to come. Have a great rest of your day and rest of your week. And remember, a day in America always gets better when we are with our friends and fellow citizens.